0: Let's just go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, as we open our hearts up to the word of God, I pray you'd help us to be open to receive what you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to go ahead and skip the video, but I will tell you a story that kind of goes along with the video. So me and my wife, we, you know, a few weeks ago, whatever, we sort of had what I will call a dispute. Some of you may call it a fight, but I will call it a heated disagreement. And actually, the funny thing is, the older you get, the more stupid the disagreements come. You know, uh, The disagreement was over when to talk about our weekly schedule. Right Now, my wife is a night owl. She will tell you she's not. She will tell you, I get tired just like everybody else. I want to go to bed just like everybody else. But the hours between like 9 p.m. and 1 a.m., the woman comes alive. I mean, I am name man, you know. I mean, all of a sudden, the kids are asleep. I'm not bothering her anymore, you know. There's just something about that sacred time space. She just comes alive. And, and so, at, you know, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes I'm like that, and sometimes I'm not, you know. But most of the time, I'm kind of like this. You know, honey, it's either time for me to read, watch television, eat ice cream, you know, or go to bed. You know, that is what I can do after nine o'clock. After nine o'clock, don't ask me to think. So, you know, she's going on and on about the schedule. I'm going, oh, God, please make her stop. You know, and I just, just getting mad and mad. And finally I had to say, honey, we're talking about this tomorrow and I'm going to bed right now. And I turn around and I walk straight into one of our walls. And I mean, it wasn't like joking. I literally took the step, smacked right in the face. I wasn't looking where I was going. And, you know, and I went, oh, and I'm just, you know, it hurt my nose. I got such, my nose sticks out so far. So I hit first and I, oh, you know, and it hurt so bad. and, And here's the thing. I hear nothing from Tanya. But one glance over, you ever laugh so hard you actually make no noise at all? She was laughing so hard, there was no noise coming out. Now I'm already a little testy, you know. I'm already kind of gearing up for a little bit of a you know? And so so I'm I mean I'm furious now, you know? And and I'm like, come on, what gives? You know, why are you laughing at me so silently? And you know, it's just so you know, we, we, we finally, eventually, you know, one of us has to be the bigger person. We all know who that was. Tanya, you guys did not even miss a beat. <laughs> and eventually, we made up and everything is fine. But the thing I remember kind of pulling away from that is sometimes when you're all filled up with anger and rage and stuff like that you do quick things and all of a sudden bam you run into things that you don't even think were there and i knew walls were there i just didn't know the wall would be there it was supposed to be like three feet over but it wasn't peter had a very similar thing and we're going to go through peter real quickly because what happens to peter is i think what can happen to a lot of us peter was really an amazing man, if you think about it. He was born, he had a job, maybe not the best job, but a good enough job, paid his taxes, had enough just to barely scrape by under the Roman Empire, and then he comes in contact with Jesus, an effective healer, a miracle worker, an amazing teacher. You were never hungry around Jesus, because he could multiply fish and bread, you know? I mean, just a guy... And Peter saw it all. He saw the multiplication of food. He saw the dead raised. He saw the sick healed and the blind see. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain into his divine celestial self. Peter saw things that you and I will never see. An amazing sight. What happened to Peter after Jesus rose from the dead? After he ascended back into heaven? And I'm going to take you through a couple of scriptures. Uh, First of all, what happened to Peter right here? In John chapter 21, Jesus forgives, restores, and reinstates Peter as the primary leader over the apostles in the beginning of the early church. Remember last week we talked about how Peter had betrayed Jesus and how he had denied him three times. Well, you know, there's some feelings hung over from that. So Jesus sets Peter straight, forgives him, and restores him back to his mission In beginning the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, Peter's miraculously baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to speak in tongues. These are this is a language he never learned. And with this language, he begins to glorify and praise God. And others who know the language begin to realize: whoa, something incredible has happened. In Acts chapter 2, 14, Peter officially begins the church after clearing up that the men weren't drunk, they weren't high, and they weren't nuts he begins to talk about how this was a fulfillment of prophecy and 3,000 people that day come to believe in Jesus. In Acts chapter three, verse seven, Peter going up to the temple heals a lame beggar at the entrance of the temple and then uses that healing as a testimony that there is power in the name of Jesus and that Jesus is the one true God and that he was the Jewish Messiah. Well, in Acts chapter four, Peter is arrested for this And he gives his first deposition in front of the hostile Jewish leadership, the same leadership that put Jesus on the cross. And Jesus essentially says, I healed the blind or the beggar, the lame beggar, in the name of Jesus, and you Jewish leaders are guilty of his blood. Peter didn't necessarily have to throw that on at the end there, but he made it a very point to make them recognize He was unjustly crucified, and you were the ones who did it. In Acts chapter 5, verse 15, Peter becomes an effective faith healer. In fact, if you look at the verse, it says that people used to bring sick people so that Peter's shadow may fall on him, because there were reports coming out that the mere shadow of Peter was beginning to heal people of their illnesses. I'd say that's a pretty effective faith healer, wouldn't you? In Acts chapter five, verses 27 and 29, Peter is arrested a second time and he gives his second deposition in front of the Jews and now he more confidently proclaims Jesus as Lord and now he uses a new word and he says, not only are you guilty of Jesus' blood, but you guys are murderers. So Peter is really pulling off the gloves now in Acts chapter five. And of course, that earns him in Acts chapter five, verse 40 his first official, flogging. They took his shirt off, and whether it was a whip or a rod, they gave him 40 minus 1. What does 40 minus 1 mean? 39, right? I just want to see if anybody could add here, you know? 39, 40 minus 1, that means they beat his back 39 times with either a whip or a rod that had pieces of glass glued on it. So this was not a fun thing. In Acts chapter 9, fast forward, Peter is now on the run. After his flogging, he realizes uh, persecution kind of breaks out in the church, and he's kind of on the run. He ends up in a town where a girl has died. And all the people are mourning and everything, and, and, and Peter's talking about the resurrection of the dead, and they're mourning this girl who died. He says, take me to the girl. They take him upstairs, and he sees the girl, and he says, all right, everybody clear out. Because you see, lack of faith can't operate with, with faith that's flowing over. So he clears everybody out, and he leans over, and he prays for the girl, and he says, rise. And this girl, by praying to Jesus, rises from the dead in Acts chapter 9. I'm going somewhere with this. In Acts chapter 10, Peter wins the first non-Jewish converts. Uh, as the Holy Spirit is poured out on the house of an Italian Roman centurion, Peter wins the first non-Jews. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is imprisoned a third time. And this time he knows. They're not just going to give me a slap on the wrist. They're going to kill me. I mean, this, is, this third one, there's no doubt about it. By this time, Peter has ticked off every Jew in Jerusalem. He's done. And he's sitting there probably waiting to be killed. And all of a sudden, an angel comes and says, you're not done yet. (laughs) Your ministry's not over yet. And miraculously, he leads Peter out of prison, and Peter is freed, and he escapes. A few years later, in Acts chapter 15, Peter presides over the first official Christian leadership council, which would have occurred about 15 to 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus And the very important thing that happened in that was that Peter supports the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul's bid to allow non-Jews to become Christians without having to become Jews first. So you got a big, 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 amazing history. I mean, you think about Peter before, you know, when he first met Jesus and everything he saw in Jesus's life. Then you think of Peter after Jesus leaves and everything that happens in Jesus's life. If there's anybody you would think, man, this dude has got to be discipled. This dude's got to have all together. I bet you he never made any mistakes after seeing and experiencing all that. Some of you may say, man, if I had just like 116th of the experience of God that Peter had, I'd be like Mother Teresa right now, you know? But the fact of the matter is, something goes terribly wrong between Acts chapter 15 and Galatians 2. If you have a Bible, turn with me or a cell phone. If not, it should be up on the screen. But in Galatians chapter 2, there's a dinner being held. And both Peter and Paul are there. Because you see, after the council, there were delegations from Jerusalem going to Paul's church, and they're trying to tell everybody, hey, it's okay, you don't have to be Jewish to be Christian. Well, on one of those times, Peter comes with them, and they're going to have a great dinner, a party. And they're going to celebrate each other. And this is what Paul had to say in Galatians chapter 2. When Peter came to Antioch, that was where the church was, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul never minces words. Uh, In verse 12, it says, For before certain men came from James, in Acts 15, he used to eat with the Gentiles. In other words, he used to eat with everybody. But when they arrived, these Jewish Christians, not these non-Jewish Christians, but when the Jewish Christians arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, those are the non-Jews, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Those are the ones who believed in order to be Christian, you had to become Jew first. The other Jews, Jewish Christians, joined him in his hypocrisy so that even by their hypocrisy, Barnabas, my best friend and my missionary buddy, was led astray. Now, if anybody is the top Jew in this room, it's actually not Peter, it's Paul, right? If anyone's gonna like claim top Jew, it's Paul. And yet here you have the top Jew opposing these Jewish Christians for separating themselves from the gentile because that was a jewish law and custom that Christ came to abolish. The apostle Peter got caught up in this. And so Paul said We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, by Jewish customs, but by faith in Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith and not by works because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. What's Paul saying? Paul, Peter, Peter, you're the one that told me about Cornelius. What in the world are you doing? Do you know how these Greeks feel? that you're separating yourself, they are feeling like they are somehow second-class Christians, lower-class Christians. And they haven't attained the Jewish Christian status. And Peter, I know why you're doing it. Because you're scared of them. Peter, how could you? You're the leader of this all. You're the first one to put their, first fo- their foot forward. You're the first one to bring it to the Italians. You're the first one to do it. And now look at you now. So afraid of rejection. You're willing to blow off all my Greek disciples just so you can look good for your Jews. Peter, what's happening to you? Peter, what's happened to you? And I think what's happened to Peter is something that can happen to us all. Point number one successful followers of Jesus do not retrace their steps. When God's got you, there is no turning around and retracing steps. Now, some of you may say, you know, Tom, I was really close to the Lord about 20 years ago. I've come distance. I need to go back and recapture that closeness I had 20 years ago. No, you don't. That's not what God's gonna do. Believe me, in 20 years, God has been working on you. You may not have been working on God, But God has been working on you. There is no going back. There is no retracing steps. But you see Peter kind of doing this a little bit. You see, he liked the acceptance of the Jews. And you know what? Can you blame him? He steps out on Pentecost. He starts preaching Jesus. He goes before the Jewish high court three times. He's on the run All of his old Jewish fishing buddies now hate him because he's proclaiming Jesus as Christ. He's probably thinking to himself, you know what? I just want a little bit of acceptance after a life of rejection. The problem is, Peter, the cost of you getting a little bit accepted is a whole bunch of people over here feeling rejected these greeks these italians these turks these persians these brits these saxons all these people that are represented in this church in antioch they see exactly what you're doing and they're getting the message loud and clear being a jewish christian is better than just being a a non-jewish christian and paul's saying is peter we're all saved by the same blood we all stand equal at the foot of Jesus in the same way. Peter, one day when you and I receive our crowns for being an apostle, we will both set our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And next to us will be Greeks and Turks and Brits and whoever else in the world comes to Jesus' feet. Peter, what in the world are you doing? I think Paul wanted to slap him. He wanted to say, you think you know Judaism? I know Judaism. What are you doing, Peter. He's trying to retrace his steps a little bit. He remembered how good it felt to be Jewish and be right. And those Romans were so wrong. And now those same Romans are in the same room with him. He's capturing some of those glory days that he felt in his youth. But the fact of the matter is successful followers do not retrace their steps. There are times i think of myself sometimes when i was 18 19 20 years old and some of the zeal i had I man i'd go down to first avenue in seattle and i'd be handing out tracks take my guitar out there singing praise songs you know we had knives pulled on us we had gangs talking to us we you know we one time we did it in front of a salsa club and the bouncer pushed us into the salsa bar <laughs> you know <laughs> i think they wanted to get us to stumble or something you know and all that kind of stuff and, and sometimes i think man i need to get back to that kid That's not God's plan. In the last 22 years, God has been working on my heart. And there's no retracing of the steps. There's only moving forward. There's no going backward. But the past comes calling for all of us. At some point in our lives, all of us may look back and say, wow, how good it was then. And that is to think that God has done nothing with our lives, even in the days when we fell away. In fact, I've been talking to some people lately and they're telling me, oh yeah, Tom, I fell away from the Lord for about 10 years. And believe it or not, God did the most in those 10 years. You'd be amazed at what God did when I was too busy going like this to him. How God was chiseling away at the rebellion of my heart. I'm like, man, that, I haven't had that. I don't want that, but I can see how God would use that. Number two, successful followers remain teachable. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. In verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you know to whom first Peter was written to? Romans. Whatever Peter was going through, he remained teachable. When Paul confronted him, Peter took it. He accepted it. And years later, what did he write to the Romans? You are now the people of God. You have been called out. You are a holy nation. You are a holy priesthood. Why did he use these big Jewish words to apply to the Gentiles? I I think because he knows he blew it. And for the rest of his life, he was never going to get that wrong again. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There is no American or African or Asian or Australian. None of that counts or cares at all in the kingdom of heaven. There's just human who trusts in Christ and human who doesn't. And Peter is seeing that with clear eyes. You know, it's kind of funny, but I would say that people are most blinded in this area of their lives. We've lost our ability to be teachable. Ask yourself, how teachable am I? If someone were to bring correction, can I handle that? can I take that, can I be taught, I'll tell you right now as a pastor, I used to feel like I could correct with this kind of gap, it's going lower, and lower, and lower, sometimes I'll put out an even small, a tiny correction, and I'll see somebody react, I'm gonna leave the church, and I'm just like, whoa, I'll be careful with that one, got to be careful with that one, got to be careful. And all of a sudden, I'm really man, we are, be- the American society, we're becoming a people where we're not teachable anymore. Yeah. What happens when we're not teachable anymore? We fall. And so the thing I love about Peter, he didn't stand up, flip Paul off and say, get out of here, you dumb murderer. You killed so many of our people. How dare you confront me? He took it and he learned from it. How do we know? By point number three. Successful followers don't hold grudges. In 2 Peter chapter 3, this is Peter writing through Silas or Silvanus. He says in verse 15, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking of them in these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. What's happening here? Paul embarrassed Peter. Confronted him in front of other people. Confronted him in front of people that Peter obviously respected. And I gotta be honest with you, if it were me, I may hold a grudge on that one. Embarrass me in front of my friends. You are not my friend, right? Embarrass me in front of people that I'm trying to look good in front of. And believe me, I will never forget that. That's, that's grudge. That's grudge. That's the seat of a grudge right there. Humiliation. And yet Peter didn't. Somehow, some way. He heard God speaking through Paul. He allowed himself to remain teachable. And he did not hold the grudge. So that years later, as he's writing, to the people to whom the church that Paul started, he says, I hold no grudges against Paul. He is my dear brother Paul. Think about it. How many of you got grudges? How many of you were humiliated or hurt in some way? And maybe their motives weren't so pure. Paul's motives were pretty pure. You've had other people, their motives weren't so pure. Whether the motive is pure or not, the effect of the grudge on your heart remains the same. We're not free. The anger, the bitterness, skews our mind sours our heart and puts us on a path where we do things we never thought we'd do, say things we never thought we'd say, feel things that we never thought we'd feel. (coughs) All because of the grudge. One time, I'll close with this, I was uh, asked to go and pray for somebody. They were passing away. And they said, we just need a pastor. I said, I'm not a Catholic. I don't do last rites. No, no, no. We just want a pastor to come and, you know, make sure that she's going to heaven, make sure she, okay, well, I can do that, you know. And I came and I talked to her. And she'd been a believer. Uh, she was pretty confident where she was going. But I said, okay, well, then I, I'm not gonna, you know, okay, fine. Then let's just talk about clearing things up before you go. And that's what the family wanted. And they're kind of outside the hospital door. So no pressure, right? I said, are there people whom you have some unresolved conflicts with? And when I said that, the lady looked at me and went, oh, yeah. I said, well, you know what? Why don't we clear those up before things, you know, before you die? Oh, no. And I could tell there was some grudges in there. So I'm kind of like, all right, well, look, you don't want my help. You don't want my prayer. I mean, I got better things to do today so I, I mean i'll leave you know and and i could think she could tell i was kind of like transitioning to okay we'll have a nice rest of your few days you know and, and, and she could kind of tell you know I, I was getting a little indignant with her you know and and, and i must have had some bad pizza that day i don't know but i remember feeling a little scratchy you know like okay fine you don't want my help i'm gonna go but she's like okay well there is one person and she had talked about her sister how for 20 years she had had unforgiveness. And she wanted to pray to release that. She said, yeah, we haven't really talked in 20 years. I thought, "You haven't talked in 20 years. What a wasted time. Grudges, waste your life. Seriously. Wasted life spent in grudges. Just so we can have our right fight and be right, you know? And, and uh, so I, <laughs> I'm praying for her. And, and I pr- we prayed this, I prayed this beautiful prayer. You have loved it. It was wonderful, you know? And I could tell she's smiling. Oh, thank you, Pastor, for coming. You know. Blah, blah. <laughs> and I get a call like three weeks later from the family. Hey, what did you do with her? Mildred was. I, 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 I did what you asked. She's coming out of the hospital today. She got better, and the doctors think she's going to live longer now. And I'm like well and they're like trying to thank me hey can can we send you money can we support the church in the back of my mind i'm so i'm going yeah but i had to tell the truth you know i had to tell the truth i said look i gotta be honest with you i did not pray for her to be healed (laughs) you know i prayed for her to die well you know (laughs) the only thing i could go back to is the one thing i did pray for she let go of the grudges you be the judge and jury on that one did that heal her Maybe. Maybe it did. Maybe the removal of all that bitterness and unforgiveness restored health to her bones. I don't know about you, but I see that in the life of Peter. Of any man who could have held a grudge against the Apostle Paul, it was him. And yet, in the end, not only did he support him, he defended him against his critics. That's the Peter I wanted to preach to you today. The Peter want you to fall in love with a Peter who's become one of my heroes a man who remained teachable and didn't hold a grudge I know some of you are going man that's right what I needed to hear this morning <laughs> the grudges are coming right to the forefront of your mind that's that's the spirit of God doing that and that's okay let him do that because he doesn't want to see you waste your life in years and decades of grudge coddling just so you can feel right life's too short and the effect it takes on our body and soul is too devastating so I encourage you like Peter become a successful follower don't go back into the past remain teachable and let go of the grudges that hold us back from so much of what God wants to pour out in our hearts If you have somebody right now, just in the quietness of your heart, just lift them up before God. Say, God, help me to let go of this grudge I have against this person. A family member, a former employer, a pastor, a teacher, a coach, a youth worker, a brother, a sister, a father, a mother, whoever it may be, letting go of that grudge and allowing you to be like Peter, a successful follower, finishing strong to the end.